All right, you guys, please agree with me tonight. Make sure my lapel can be heard, and I'm just going to pray. Let's all agree together. Lord, we come before you as an army of prayer warriors right now, and we agree together corporately over this word tonight. We know that this series, that the devil does not like this type of preaching, period, whoever it is. And so, Lord, we ask you tonight that you would anoint me fresh and that you would just wrap me up in your presence and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. Lord, let everything go forth, every word, let there be mental clarity, but let it go out. I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice, everyone that's going to be hearing this now or in the future, um, not just this sermon, but others from River of Life, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move upon them and just begin to um, captivate them. And so that we can give you our best ear and our full attention, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, our minds are in tune to what you're saying, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to see and hear and comprehend what the Spirit of God is speaking to us, what the Word of God is saying. And Lord, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, good fertile soil of hearts and minds. I pray that you would speak through me your words of life, your word is living seeds of truth sown out in the good soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the holy spirit that will take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes and lord i pray the winds of your spirit are going to carry this everywhere it needs to go that the um your holy spirit will just water seeds in people seeds of truth and cause this to really take root in people we're believing that your angels to watch over your word um, that it's going to be able to get where it's supposed to be and do what it's supposed to be doing. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be a light shining and dispelling all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception of the enemy. And let your word go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. And Jesus taught us the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to steal the seed or hinder this word in any way. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. We command you to back off. And Lord, let your holy angels clear all that out and let the winds of your spirit, again we pray, carry this out among the nations. It's going to get where it needs to be and accomplish what it needs to do. Lord, we thank you. We agree together. We believe. We expect it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I've been dealing with a series on doctrines of demons based on 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, anyway, I'm going to continue that tonight. I'm going to deal with part 10. And this is, I'm entitling this Dangerous Teachings. This is kind of a spinoff from last week. But we're going to deal with some things tonight I feel like are important. I'm probably going to do two more weeks after this, most likely, unless the Lord changes it, along these lines. And I believe that it'll be a great blessing to you. Unless the Lord changes things, next week I, I plan on dealing with prophecy. Um, true prophecy, false prophecies, kind of filtering all that. And then closing it out with something I believe will really be a blessing to you as well. All right. So tonight, dangerous teachings. If you're taking notes, you'll want to write down 2 Corinthians 11.3. This is one to really read over and think about over this next week. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to christ let me read that again 
Paul said, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, that your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So just as the serpent came in, there was deception. It pulled Eve away from the purposes of God. Paul is concerned that somehow that people would be deceived in their minds by the enemy and get away from the Lord. So this is a warning to Christians because Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. You know, toward the end of Steve Hill's life, I, I don't remember exactly what time this was. Um, actually, this may have been back in 2003, 4, 5 time frame when I was, you know, with him and serving there with him. But um, he would say, he was saying this, he was saying, keep a closed mind. And I remembered that because, you know, people always tell you to have an open mind, which I do, and I'm sure you do about a lot of things, and that's good to have. But what he was referring to is, is that there's certain things that you need to resolve in yourself what you believe and it doesn't matter what anybody else says you are locked into that you know what i'm saying and that's what he was saying he was referring to the gospel he was referring to foundational truths you know there is one god the god of abraham you know he has a son yeshua the messiah jesus and it is only through him we're saved and the word of god is is the only inspired word of god i mean that's it there's not another holy book you know so that there has to be some area of our lives where we come to a finality about that that we've resolved those truths in ourselves that it doesn't matter what anybody else says we're just not going to be shaken and like steve hill said um, keep a closed mind in those areas okay i'm gonna read a few scriptures and then i'm going to share a few things that i feel are vitally important there are some dangerous teachings out there isn't there i read some things last week okay but there's also some wonderful teaching that's out there as well but we're living at a time where we need to know what we believe and we need to have a lot of spiritual discernment and wisdom so i'm going to read second peter chapter 2 starting with verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 10. Now I want you to notice some of what Peter's saying. He said this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Now, I'm going to read this slow enough that we can really digest this. Paul had no, I mean, Peter here had no problem with saying that there are false prophets and there are false teachers he had no problem with that as a matter of fact he said that there will be false teachers out there among god's people how many believe that tonight okay and he goes on to say who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them now, last week I read some things where there was actually some people that are preachers that are well-known that have books in bookstores that have a huge following. They've, they've had television appearances. They're very well-known. Some of them even pastor very large churches. And they were saying things like the cross is a distraction. 
and that God is a co cosmic child abuser for requiring the cross. You know what I'm saying? So these are, let's just put it now, what I talked about last week, let's just go to Peter's teaching. These are people who are introducing destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves, many will follow their sensuality. Now this concerns me because the Bible says here that many will follow these people. And I'm saying that we're living in this time when these prophecies are coming to pass because some of these people are introducing destructive heresies that are denying the Lord, that are leading people away from Jesus Christ, that are causing people to question the gospel, to question the deity of Christ, to question the infallibility of God's word. And just as I've mentioned all through this, the Bible says that there would be doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. Seducing there in the Greek can translate deception, deceiving spirits. But nonetheless, they're demons that have a seductive quality about them to try to seduce people away from the Lord. They're trying to pull people away from the Lord. And it's exactly what Peter's saying. Many will follow their sensuality like a seductive spirit. Something that's trying to seduce people. Are you seeing this? And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of truth will be dishonored, disrespected. People will look down on it because of these destructive teachers. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment was from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And then he goes on to give the warnings of ancient times. In verse 4 he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and he's talking about where angels came down and procreated with women, Genesis 6, the Nephilim, but he cast them into hell, committed them into pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Verse 5, he did not spare the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. The angels had sexual immorality. In the days of Noah, the ancient world, you're dealing with that. But then he goes on to give other examples also about Sodom and Gomorrah. You're dealing with sexual immorality and perversions. And verse 7, he rescued Lot, a righteous man, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Verse 8, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them in Sodom, felt his, in his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who would indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Now, I talked in this series also about despising authority, didn't I? So you're seeing in here, he said, in their greed. So some, the motive is money. 
then he gives examples about sexual immorality and things like that so some of them their motive is to is somehow to condone sexual perversions maybe even in their own life but they preach it to condone it in other people's lives too and then thirdly he mentions here about despising authority i saw something the other day on facebook somebody i think this was a minister's son or something but nonetheless he put this on facebook and he was saying that there's no real authority in the church except the lord he was saying except jesus but there's no authority in the church you know what that is and a lot of people were liking that and amening that and everything else you know what that is that's despising authority there's a rebellious spirit out there that is not going to come under any authority and those people are going to have a lot of problems so we see that peter had no problem saying there'd be false prophets false teachers who would bring destructive heresies and would lead many people astray you know this is one of the things that has probably shocked me the most because i'm a i'm a revival person i've been touched mightily in revival i know many of you have i love revival and i love the people of revival and there's some wonderful solid people out there but i have been shocked at the people not all just some that by me just reading these scriptures false teachers false prophets things like that they don't like that they want to unify with everything you understand what i'm saying and they would feel me preaching this way as somehow being divisive let me tell you what i'm doing i'm saying that not everything out there is god and I'm not going to unify with everything. I'm not going to unify with things that are not God. I will unify with my brothers and sisters in Christ, of course. And go to links to do so. But I am not going to unify with something that is not of God. And so 2 Corinthians 11:13, the Apostle Paul, now we read from Peter, now let's read from Paul. He said, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So the Apostle Paul here has no problem saying that there are false apostles out there. Deceitful workers. And then he says in verse 14, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds now let's read from matthew 7 verse 15 let's read the teachings of jesus christ i don't pick and choose in the word what i like and don't like i just love the word of god you know what i'm saying i remember one time i was preaching and there was this different it was such an eclectic group of people out there okay but I remember telling them in love, I said, the difference between me and you, because I was talking to these groups of people, I told them, I said, I don't pick and choose what I want in the Bible, I just accept it. And some of you don't like tongues, it's in the Bible. Some of you don't like healing, you don't like somebody falling down. It's all in the Word, it's you have a problem with the Word, not me. But thankfully, they repented and God moved. All right, Matthew seven fifteen. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. So Jesus had no problem calling them out, did he? 
who come to you in sheep's clothing. Who are the sheep? Christians. So they're going to look like they're Christians on the outside. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. And Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Now, this is extremely important right here. We need to take some time to examine fruit. This is where me and a few people down through the years have gotten crossways because there was some stinky, rotten fruit that I said, I'm not going to eat that and I'm not going to go along with that. And they didn't like that too much. Jesus said, grapes are not gathered from bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. So you need to look at the fruit are they living righteous? Is their home in order? Or, you know, what are they preaching? Is it the word? You need to look at the fruit of the ministry. Are people falling in love with Jesus? Are people repenting of their sin? I'll tell you right now, if people are not, if people are not repenting of their sin in a ministry, that is a horribly bad sign. You understand how bad? That's probably the worst sign you can possibly have is that there would be a ministry that nobody ever is convicted of sin and never repents. I don't think you could find a worse fruit than that. And Jesus said that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, etc. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We obviously it's going to speak of hell ultimately, isn't it? Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, this is where some people that want to believe that you can just say some prayer and live however you want and go to heaven, that type of thing. This scripture flies in the face of that. These people call Jesus Lord. Jesus said, you can't just call me Lord and enter heaven, but it's he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven that will enter. Verse 22, many, not a few. This is a scary scripture. You understand that there's going to be many, according to Jesus, that are going to stand before him thinking that they're going to go to heaven, that he's going to throw them into hell. Can you imagine how incredibly terrifying that would be? To stand before Jesus thinking that you were his and he looks at you and says I never knew you and he throws you into hell that's going to be a horribly terrifying day from the Bible says many I want to preach it in a way to where the people that are going to hear me preach are going to make sure that they're ready okay but he said many will say to me on the day Lord Lord we prophesied in your name you can't do that unless you're a believer we cast out demons you can't do that unless you're a believer. The seven sons of Sceva and the Jewish chief priests in this Acts, was it 19? The Bible's pretty clear about that. And he said, in my name we perform miracles. These are things that are in the Christian circle going on. And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Practice lawlessness in the Greek is a way that could be translated lived in sin. So they lived a life of unrepentant sin. 
So these are people that were religious. They called Jesus Lord. They went to church. They wanted the gifts. They wanted the anointing. They wanted the recognition. They did things for the Lord, but at the end of the day, they had no relationship with the Lord, and they never repented and got things really right with him. That's a scary scripture. If there's going to be people, according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, right here, that have prayed for the sick and they were healed, and they're going to spend eternity in hell because they never were really right. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. There's going to be people in the body that cast demons out, that prayed for the sick and they were healed. They gave prophetic words, but they're going to end up spending an eternity in hell because they never were really right with the Lord. Jude chapter 3, or Jude, Jude verse 3 rather. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. You know, Jude is saying here, you know, I wanted to write you about other things, but I felt compelled as I'm writing this that to encourage you to make sure you contend for the faith that you hold on to what you have. And that's kind of what I felt in this series. Like, you know, we could talk about a lot of different things, but I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to encourage people, make sure that you hold on to what you have. Verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord into licentiousness, which basically is a license to live in sin, and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said that, I think, in Romans 6. Do not make the grace of God a license to sin. And I hate to have to preach this way, but it's going on. There's preaching that is telling people to not repent. I mean, it real, they are actually saying that. As hard as that is for some people hearing this to think, no, they're not. They are. They're saying that Jesus paid for your sins, past, present, future. You don't have to repent of anything. It's ridiculous. But what they're doing is they're making God's grace a license to continue a life of sin. And I would say, if, you know, if one of these type preachers somehow heard this, I would say to them, if you don't repent, you're very likely going to be in hell one day. You're leading other people astray. If you send other people to hell, you're not going to escape it. Galatians 2.4 But it was because, listen to this, it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in. So I want you to notice here that Jude, let's go back for a moment. Look at all the different ones I've read. Peter said, just like they were false prophets among the people, they would be false teachers slipping in among us. Paul said that they would be people pretending to be servants of God, but they're not. Jesus said they'd be wolves in sheep's clothing. That, to me, sends a message of somebody trying to secretly be in among us. They're pretending to be a sheep. Jude says here that there are certain persons who have 
crept in unnoticed. And then Galatians says it was the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. So there's something about people that are not God's people really that are slipping in and being among God's people that are being used of the devil. And I've always said this. This will be in a later sermon, okay? But I've always said this. Not everybody that comes through the door of a church is really the Lord's. And it's not somebody you need necessarily praying for you, prophesying to you, teaching you, entrusting your children to. You need to make sure about people. Because not everybody that comes through church doors is the Lord's. And that's another sermon I'll get to later, but I just wanted to put that thought out there. So I want to give you a couple things. I would entitle this Dangerous Teachings. And I believe that this, some of these concerns I have tonight are things that we need to really be thinking about. The first thought I want to give you is this. I'm going to cover three things. I'm going to give you this, and then I'm going to give you uh, some sound doctrine here at the end but anyway the first thing I want to say is this the people that you sit under will affect you more than you realize please remember this I pray that God will help me do a good job explaining this because it may not be as easy to explain but I'll try but the people that you sit under there's an influence there and especially if you keep sinning under them it influences you more than you think you need to make sure that they're telling you the truth you need to make sure there's a purity in their life and a purity in what they preach and a purity in the anointing and I remember um, this is why I'm gonna try to do my best to explain this there was a well-known minister that if I said his name, you'd know who he is and all that. And I always was rooting for him, you know. But there's times that he had the opportunity to be public about different things and take a stand, and he, he shied back and didn't. It, it was unfortunate. But he has a certain way of carrying himself. And I remember that there was something that came up where the news media was interviewing someone in his church. And I was in another room doing something but I heard the interview and I heard a person in the church talking and I mean to tell you I thought for sure it was this preacher it sounded exactly like him in every respect I thought it was him and when I turned around and went back in the room and realized it was somebody in the church it really surprised me the people that you sin under influence you more than you realize is this making sense I hope that I'm explaining this well. There was a man of God that I, I've known back in the past for years. And he began to allow some things to come in that I personally didn't feel comfortable with. And I tried to talk to him about it, but he didn't listen. And the Lord gave me a scripture, and it was like a warning for me and it was in second john i believe where it says not to wish somebody godspeed and this this whole epistle was written 
where John was telling a woman, giving advice about who she lets in her home and not, and that type of situation. But he was saying, don't let somebody in your home and don't take care of them and don't wish them Godspeed and all that if they're not preaching the truth, if they're not really representing the gospel correctly. And, they're, you know, and that was the context, but the Lord gave me that scripture about not wishing them Godspeed and, and to kind of keep a distance, so I did. And I saw something like a strange spirit begin to afflict this person who did not do that. He was going along with some things that he shouldn't be going along with. Anyway, I have seen over the years now people that I knew that sat under this ministry where he was their pastor for years. And there was kind of this strange spirit and there was this pride and many of them now that I've seen and talked to after that, there's a pride about them. There's something off. There's a rebellion. There's a pride. Some of them really aren't even faithful to God's house. The people you sit under can influence you more than you realize, spiritually speaking. And there's people that would start going to a church somewhere for whatever reason they have, maybe it's, it's really fancy and they, it just, it appeals to them in different ways. And as the minister up there begins to maybe preach something that they, at first, they really feel, well, now wait a second. And maybe they're saying it in a way, let me, let me say this and then make this point. When somebody is preaching something that's off, they're not going to get up and just be real blatant about it. Because everybody would be like, whoa, wait a second. They know how to present it. Where it sounds good. And it's interesting, the Bible uses the terminology like a seducing spirit. And people being seduced out from a relationship with the Lord. They're there's something, it's interesting because in the Bible, let me say this, that anytime there was an idolatry, God always viewed that as committing adultery against him. He would say things to Israel, how you were seduced and led astray. Now let me get back to the point I was trying to make. Somebody could get up in a church and begin to say something. And at first, a new person would be like, well, you know, wait a second. I don't know about that. But the preacher knows how to put it to where it starts sounding good. There's some kind of a seducing spirit on it. So if that person doesn't pray, go home and pray and say, Lord, give me discernment and go to the word of God and look at what the word says and, and spend some time with the Lord and hear from God, if they just keep going back and sitting under that, pretty soon there's things that they would have never agreed with in the past that now they're saying, you know, maybe abortion really isn't that big a deal. You know, maybe we do need to be more open to homosexuals being in the ministry. You see what I'm saying? Some kind of a seducing spirit. Be careful who you sit under and what you're listening to, what you're subjecting your family to. Not everything out there is the Lord. 
you better know the Lord for yourself. And what was the rebuke Jesus had? Depart from me, I never knew you. The word there in the Greek for know you is a, rela a real relationship. See, we say in English, I knew this person. That implies almost like just a casual acquaintance. That's not what this means. This means a relationship. Jesus said, I never knew you. You know what differentiates Christianity from everything else? Relationship. Every other so-called religion, whatever out there, has to do with religious works and a works-based so-called salvation. Christianity is relational. And God is looking for a relationship. All right, the next thing I'm concerned about. So I, I feel like I made that point about what you sit under can affect you. Good or bad. All right, be careful what you open the door to. How many knows it can be really easy to open the door to the devil, but it can be extremely difficult to get him back out, shut that door, and seal it off by the blood? Let me say it again. It can be really easy to open the door to the devil, but it can be really hard to get that thing shut again. Let me give you a modern-day parable to make this point. I'm going to give you some illustrations here. So in this modern-day parable, there was, some, there was a village that lived on a riverbank. The riverbank was very beautiful, and because they lived on the riverbank, everything was very lush and beautiful. And they, they were very prosperous. They had been there for several generations. And um, it was like the blessings from the forefathers down. They were very prosperous, doing well there. And they had grown as a people. Their farming was doing well. And um, the only thing was the younger generation that was coming up, there was this big wall. It was like a monstrosity of a wall that was built along the riverbank there. It was very thick. And because it had been there for so many generations, it was now ugly. It was something that had algae on it. And it didn't look good at all. And to them, it was an eyesore. So there's a scripture in Proverbs, and I'll deal with this in another sermon, I promise. But there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, Don't move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Okay. So these young people now had grown up and they they were the you know the elders of the city or the village and they didn't like the looks of this thing they didn't really inquire as to why their ancestors built it in the first place so they get into a, a little meeting together and they decide we're going to tear this wall down because it's an eyesore and so they begin the construction they tear it down so some time passes they've planted their crops everything's starting to come up their families are living together in harmony all of a sudden there's a torrential rain that comes and it's one of those really torrential downpours and the riverbank the water starts coming in violently and very strong. 
and it sweeps up where that old wall was, but the wall's no longer there. It goes through and hits their whole crops that they were depending on for livelihood, wipes out their crops. It tears down many of their houses. Some of their children drown in that river. And all of a sudden, after that whole devastation happens, they realize that the reason our forefathers built this wall was to protect this village. And it was so stupid of us to just tear it down without even inquiring as to why it was there in the first place. All right. This is another sermon for another day I will get to about this ancient boundary stone, but let me just say this tonight. There are things that are in place that our fathers of the faith had the wisdom to put there and they're there for our protection but there are people among us today that want to move ancient boundary stones that have no business being moved and let me kind of give you an example there was a man years ago well-known minister and i really love him this is just an area I don't really fully agree with him on. But in the late 90s, I believe it was, he came out and really wrote something to where he was saying very publicly that he was open to alcohol in the church. Well, that's his opinion, you know. And I remember that, I remembered that because it stuck out to me at the time. Now, let me fast forward many years later. This was maybe just a few years ago, actually. So approximately around 20 years or so. Just on Facebook, you know, pictures and things pop up. One of his children, there was a picture there where she was in a bar drinking. And I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe she's away from the Lord. You know, we need to pray for her and... And so I, I click on the picture. You know, it starts going to next pictures and another picture of her in a bar. But then right after that, there's a picture of her leading worship. Then a picture of being in a bar drinking again. Then a picture of backup leading worship right behind a keyboard singing. Then a picture in a bar again. Then a picture leading worship again. And I'm sitting there thinking... Well, this is different and not good what do you think the world's going to think of that when they see that type of stuff see a dad says it's okay for this he tears down a wall he opens up a door to something and now look at the product in the children You better be very careful what doors you open. I'll just say this. I think that there's, uh, there's some things that we just need to use a lot of wisdom about. Our spiritual fathers of the faith built walls, ancient boundary stones to protect us. All right. Here's some other things that I'm concerned about. Number three. Too much of a focus 
on the here and the now in the way of materialism. A lot of the preaching that I'm hearing from certain sources have almost nothing to do with where you're going to spend eternity, making sure things are right with God, living a sacrificial life, bearing fruit that will bear fruit in eternity, so to speak, that will, there'll be eternal rewards. In other words, living for, what did Jesus say? Don't store up treasures that moth and rust destroy, whatever. He said, store up treasures in heaven. So anything to do with living for eternity, living with heaven in mind, I'm not hearing that. What I'm hearing is sermons that are about the here and the now. What's going to make you happy now? How you can prosper now? How you can have a better life here and now? And don't get me wrong, there's a place for some of that. But if that's all you're ever preaching, there's something really off there. I believe God wants to prosper us here and now. But I'm going to tell you something. We're only here for a short time, but we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And we need to not be just thinking about the here and now. We need to live our lives thinking about what will matter in eternity. The next thing that concerns me is some teaching about dominionism. And I touched on this last week about heaven on earth now. So the heaven on earth now, I'm not, we're not talking about heaven invading earth where God pours out his spirit because I believe in that and I love that. We need that. I'm talking about this weird thing that's almost new age where people in the body of Christ are beginning to try to connect with other religions and worship together in a way of creating like some type of a euphoria of having heaven here and now and their doctrine is that there is no actual literal heaven or hell and they're focused about having kind of like peace and safety and harmony and and everybody just worshiping together here and now you see but here's something also that's concerned me is kind of the dominionism Roman Catholicism, which I'll deal with again, I'm, I'm trying to just say something that I'll deal with in another sermon, okay? So just bear with me about that. But Roman Catholicism during the Dark Ages got to this place of having kings and rulers and nations, everybody afraid of them. It was like this domination. Islam seeks to do that. It's, it's concerning to me that the mentality sometimes about taking over governments and secular things hear what i'm saying i hope i do a good job explaining this we need christians that will serve in secular capacities that that's what god has led them to do we need that but it's still a secular government or a secular whatever but we do need them there and if they're there it's going to help things but it's not from a mentality of like the church taking over and dominating. Is this making sense? And I think that it's gotten kind of weird sometimes because people want to blend the church with secular government and bring them together way too much. The secular government is a secular kingdom, a secular government. The church 
is a spiritual government with the fivefold ministry. They're two different things. We need to keep them separate. Another thing that I'll, you know, and I plan on dealing with this a lot more around the fall feast, but I've been surprised at the abandoning of the rapture. Now, we grew up with some sound doctrine. And we grew up understanding these things. And it's sad to see that there's such an attack against certain truths, like, for example, the rapture. Um, but I remember one preacher saying that some of that may be out of a lack of the fear of God. And let me explain that. There was a minister that used to preach really strong about the rapture, that the Lord could come any time, make sure you're ready. And he was living a really righteous life. But he began to preach against that. And he didn't, he didn't believe in a rapture anymore. And, he, and come to find out, he had also gotten into sin and was living in unrepentant sin. It's interesting that not always, but a lot of times, there's ulterior motives. When somebody's preaching different behind the scenes, there may be a lifestyle change. Because how many knows whenever... <clears throat> Let's say this may not be the best example, but let's say parents leave and go somewhere and the kids are at home, you know, and they make a mess. Well, when they know that dad's coming back home, what do they do? They start cleaning up. You see, when people lose that fear of God, that imminent return, that we don't know when the Lord's coming, we need to make sure we're ready. When people lose that, they lose that fear of God, they start sliding in some areas. And isn't it interesting that we're seeing such a rise with alcohol abuse? And Jesus used the example about how they would get drunk and beat their servants. Isn't it interesting? All right, another thing that's concerned me is refusing, just flat refusing to preach on certain subjects. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Acts that to preach the whole counsel of God. There's certain things that I enjoy preaching on more than others. But I feel an obligation to preach what the Lord tells me to preach. That I'm not going to pick and choose what I like and dislike. We're just going to preach the word. But there's some out there that will just flat refuse to preach on certain subjects because they don't want to offend somebody or whatever their motive is. And then the last thing I want to mention is about a perverted view of love and tolerance. And this has crept into the church. Where there's people now that have somehow got this strange mentality that love means that we accept everybody's sin and that we make people feel comfortable in their sin, that we condone it, that we pat them on the back, tell them everything's going to be okay. That's not love. That's just tolerating sin. If you really love somebody, and I know you guys know this, but if you really love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. If there was a house on fire and somebody was in another room and they, they were asleep, you would go in and beat down the door and tell them to get out the houses on fire, man. If you loved them, if you didn't love them, then, you know. But if you loved them, you would warn. But there's this weird, perverted view of love in the world that has crept into the church. And let me tell you that it is pervasive. And it is very concerning.
And there's a lady I really, I seem to really like her, what I've seen, um, but by her, I don't know if it's a ministry or what, but she calls herself the activist mommy, you know. And, um, oh yeah. And um, I don't know a whole lot about her, but I will say what I've seen I really like. But it's sad to me that there has to be some little homeschool mom that's got more guts than some preachers out there. And that's just the truth. And let me say this too, and then I'm going to go to something else, but it is vital that we have faith in the Lord to keep us. And not fear of being deceived. Does that make sense? If you live in some kind of fear of being deceived, guess what? You'll probably end up deceived. <laughs> But if you'll have faith in the Lord, and let me say it this way, I have more faith in the Lord to keep me than I do in the devil to deceive me. So keep your faith in Christ and stay close to him. And let me just read something before I get to the doctrinal part. This is um, kind of vintage Pastor Scott. Here we go. You can forget about revival in these five categories you ready if you want to have seeker sensitive services that are under an hour and 100 percent cater to man you can forget about revival well number two if you want to water down god's word and shy away from preaching certain truths out of a fear of offending people you can forget about revival because God can't trust you. Number three. If you want to preach a hyper grace message that keeps people from repenting of their sin. Thus getting right with God. You can forget about revival. You're leading people astray into deception. And in danger of hellfire yourself. Number four. If you are more concerned <clears throat> about offerings and man-pleasing rather than pleasing the Lord you can forget about revival the devil has you right where he wants you number five if the motive of your heart is to build your own kingdom and you're all caught up about your name and your fame you can forget about revival you are in a dangerous place spiritually So here's some things I want to close with this. I'm going to give you some approximately 12, I believe I have here. 12 doctrinal things that I feel that we need to make sure that we're established in. I'll do some more teaching on some of these down the road. I cannot spend a whole hour explaining each thing and especially like the rapture. It's, it, it takes a long time to preach on something like that. You got to explain everything. I'll do that in a few weeks when we get into the fall feast, okay? All right. Some of these, you're going to have to close your mind to anything else. Some of these, you're just going to have to realize that our fathers of the faith have built a, a boundary stone, a wall there. And it doesn't need to be moved. Number one is the Bible is the inspired and the only infallible and authoritative written word of God. That's it. God didn't have a problem writing it 
It's just that some people have a problem reading it and understanding it. It's still God's word and it's still true. They just don't get it. Number two, there is one God eternally existing in three persons, a triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's just the way it is. There's not other gods. There's one God. We renounce all other gods. We serve the God of Abraham and his son Jesus Christ and his precious Holy Spirit and him alone. Number three, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. There's people trying to challenge that. He is God. He's just as much God as the Father. And the mystery of this, that that God himself, by the Holy Spirit, could drop down into a virgin womb, seed, DNA, and use the egg of that woman, that womb, to wrap flesh and bone into God and create Jesus. Isn't that something? Jesus was 100% God. He's also 100% man. But he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life. See, God being the father, God dropping the DNA down, it bypassed Adam. So Jesus was not born with a sinful nature like you and I. He lived a sinless life. Jesus never sinned. You understand? He never lied. He never stole. He lived a pure life. That's why he was able to be the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the world. We believe in his miracles, all of them. We believe on his substitutionary work on the cross, that he died in our place. We believe in his bodily resurrection. He laid in the tomb for three days, and he raised from the dead. We believe that. He was seen by around 500 people. And I remember when he appeared to the disciples, what did he tell them? Put your finger in my hand. Put your finger in my side. He still had the wounds. But he was in a glorified body. We believe in his exaltation to the right hand of God. That he ascended on the Mount of Olives. He ascended up. He ever lives to make intercession for us right now as our great high priest. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is seated on the Father's throne right now. But there's coming a time when he's going to come and reign from Jerusalem. And it's going to fulfill prophecy because he's going to sit on David's throne. And he's going to rule over the earth for a thousand years. Number four, we believe in the blessed hope. The rapture of the church at Christ's coming. But this is the remnant bride. Not everybody that calls themselves a Christian. Not everybody that goes to church. And I don't believe everybody that's born again is going to be raptured. I believe it's going to be people that are ready when he comes. I believe that. And in a few weeks I'll preach it and I believe you'll believe it too. But look, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. But not everybody's living right. Amen? Alright, number five. The only means of being cleansed from sin. Is from turning from sin and putting your faith in the blood of Jesus. That's it. You're not going to be able to spin a prayer wheel. You're not going to be able to say so many Hail Marys. You're not going to be able to go to some man and confess your sin. You're not going to be able to, 
to do some kind of penance where you go to some shrine somewhere and crawl around on your knees for hours until your knees bleed. None of that's going to earn your salvation. It's not by works. It is by faith in Christ alone. Faith in the cross. Conditions of salvation received through repentance toward God. You turn from sin, you put your faith in the Lord. The evidence of salvation is the Holy Spirit's witness within you. The Spirit of God will bear witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. And the outward evidence, you'll live a righteous life. You'll change. You'll be different. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect and there will be a process. We go from glory to glory. But nonetheless, there will be change. People that say they're a Christian, they go to church, it's a social club, but there's never really any change in their life. They still hang around the same friends. They still go and party at the same places. They live the same life. They're only deceiving themselves. They're not really Christians. They're not born of God. They're just religious. Number six, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for personal salvation. You know what that means? Born again. It means the Spirit of God comes into your spirit and that part of you now, the DNA of God is in you. When you're born again, you're totally different. You will never be the same. You, can, you cannot continue to live the way you did before. Number seven, water immersion. The name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, but nonetheless, water immersion. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me how people want to make it other things. The word baptismo is to immerse. I mean, so anyway, it's immersion. Number eight, redemptive work on the cross by Christ provides not only forgiveness of sins but healing and deliverance from the devil in answer to believing prayer number nine the baptism in the Holy Spirit and I'm not ashamed of the baptism of the Holy Spirit I'm, I'm grieved deeply grieved at the people that once had some kind of a Pentecostal heritage that now you will never hear tongues you'll never have any type of gifts of the spirit in their church even pastors own children aren't speaking in tongues they have forsaken it man and it, it grieves me you know what we need the baptism of the holy spirit you know i should probably do a sermon on this but you know when jesus gave the parable about the wedding feast and somebody didn't have wedding garments it's obvious that those garments have to do with the priestly garments the priestly garments definitely have to do with righteousness but it's interesting that they also have to do with the power of God and the glory of God. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witness. When you're clothed with power from on high, there's a clothing of power, okay? All right, but we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number 10, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will clean you up. He will convict you. He won't let you get away with stuff. You remember when Lyndall was with us and he said, everybody talks about how sweet the Holy Spirit is. He said, well, to me, the Holy Spirit was kind of mean. He said, I tried to go do my own thing. Remember that? I tried to go do my own thing and the Holy Spirit, man, he was on me, convicting me. But the Holy Spirit loves us enough. He's not going to let us get away with stuff we don't need to get away with. He will convict us. Thank God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Don't ever stop. Please don't ever stop. Don't leave us to our own devices. But Holy Spirit, show us the truth. Number 11, we believe in the resurrection. 
Now here, we're not just talking about a glorified body. You mind if I rabbit trail for a minute and tell you that you're going to have a glorified body one day? You want to hear about it? All right. So Jesus raised from the dead. He had a glorified body. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. There's going to come a time when there's going to be a rapture of the remnant bride. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that are alive and re remain will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. You know what that is? That's bodies that are being transformed into glorified bodies. No longer having a sin nature. No longer getting sick. No longer getting tired. No longer growing old. It's a glorified resurrected body. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. But we're, when we die, you got to understand, right now you die, your spirit and soul go to heaven. But there's a day coming, and it's called the rapture, you know, harpazo, whatever you want to call it, where there's going to be glorified bodies given to God's people. But this is at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. There's going to be a resurrection, but there's going to be a great white throne judgment. And there's going to be people that are resurrected in a good way, but there's going to be people that are resurrected at the white throne that are going to be judged. And it seems to me, it's just a personal thing, I, I may be wrong about this, but that their bodies are going to be given back to them, but they're going to be thrown into hell with them. But it's going to be the end. This is the great white throne judgment. This is going to be a rough time. But we believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. One to everlasting life and one to everlasting damnation. Verse 12, I mean, sorry, number 12, and we believe in the kingdom to come. You want me to say this real quick about the kingdom to come? Jesus is coming. He's going to catch away a remnant bride to the marriage supper. And while we're there with him, the earth is going to go through the tribulation time, the days of Jacob's trouble. But after that, Jesus is going to come back with us in our glorified bodies, riding a white horse. My wife likes horses. Yeah, she's going to be riding a horse. And we're going to come back with Jesus on horses. And the Bible says that Jesus' feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. Where he left. Remember the angel said he, the same way he left, he's coming. His feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two. He's going to massacre all the enemies of Israel. I feel bad for him. They're all dead. He's wiping them out. He's going to come in to take over and rule with a rod of iron. I want to be on his side. Amen. I'm with Jesus. And um, he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And it's going to return back to the way it was like in the Garden of Eden. Where people are going to live really long. You know, people will be seven, eight, nine hundred years old. The Bible says that children will be able to play with snakes and that lions will eat straw and it's just going to be a time like the garden of eden okay but at the end of that time a lot of sinful humanity that still have a sinful nature are repopulating the earth but all that they've known is the rule of christ but how many knows whenever there's a male authority figure that's telling people no and you're going to do this and you're not going to do that that they're not everybody likes him So not everybody's going to like Jesus. I know it's hard for you to believe, but that's going to happen. Not everybody's going to like Jesus. And so at the end of the thousand-year reign, we've had the Garden of Eden. We've had a time where Satan and his minions were bound. The curse was lifted off creation. People were living to be old, you know, eight, nine hundred years old. 
People that were sick, there were leaves there. They could come to around Jesus, be healed. I mean, it's an amazing time. And at the end of this, the devil's going to be loose for a final cleansing. He's going to go through and try to deceive. And you know what? There's going to be a bunch of goofy people. And it says in Revelation, many, like the sand on the seashore, that are going to follow the devil and try to rebel against Jesus again. Bad idea. Because here's what happens. The Bible says fire comes down from heaven and fries them all. Then we have the great white throne judgment, which I mentioned. But listen to this. After that thousand-year reign of Christ, the Bible says that the earth is going to be purged with fire. This is some kind of a spiritual fire. What we knew under the thousand-year reign of Christ was that there were still people that did not have glorified bodies. And it was like it was in the garden. That's what we knew, right? But Peter said that there's now going to be some kind of a purifying fire. What's going to happen is, is the earth's atmosphere is going to be purged and it's going to become heaven's atmosphere. And let me explain why. The Bible says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem, a city that's 1,500 miles square that's going to come down on the earth and... God the Father is going to come down to the earth. The people, have you ever read this? Read Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22. Read all that. And the Bible says the dwelling of God will be with man and man with God forever. Isn't that something? So before the Father comes, though, there's got to be some kind of a fiery purging. The great white throne happened. There was a sifting. The great white throne Everybody now on the earth with Jesus have glorified bodies now at the end of the thousand years. Everybody else has been judged and thrown into hell. So now everything's going to be purified with fire. It's going to become heaven's atmosphere. Isn't that something? And then the Father's going to come down. And we're going to dwell with God forever. One of the things I've always wondered about is why doesn't God just pull us up there? But he's coming here. See, right now the Holy Spirit is here preparing for Jesus' thousand-year reign. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to be preparing for a thousand years for the Father to come. And when the Father comes, that's the end. But why does God come down here? Why don't we go there? But he loves us so much. And the thing is that, that God, think about it, the earth is the only planet. Of course, I don't believe in life on other planets or anything. But the earth is the only place in all of creation, all of heaven, where there's rebellion against him. Yet he loves humanity so much that he became a man to die for us and he's still going to come here and dwell forever. That's something, isn't it? The love of God. All right. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. And we pray, Lord, for the grace to be like the Bereans that study the word and know the word for ourselves. That we're not just going to blindly accept everything. We realize that there are people among the body of Christ that are leading some astray. Sadly, there are some false teachers. Sadly, there are some false prophets. Sadly, there are some false apostles. There are some things that are heretical. It's sad. But Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom with humility and love to know the word and to know your spirit and Lord that we will have discernment and we will have the wisdom to look at fruit 
and make sure it's of God. Lord, we love you tonight and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.